Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beer and Money. My name is Alex Collins, and I will be your host today. Uh, today, we're going to dive into uh, retirement income, and you know specifically the five factors that are the most important for creating the, your retirement income and being able to enjoy a long and healthy retirement. So, before we get to that, we today I am drinking. Uh, a fired up brewery amber. So this is a, a beer that I picked up uh, a couple weeks ago. It's a, a small brewery up in Colville, Washington. Um, they have a great little restaurant as you're getting into town. Um, some absolutely delicious beers and uh, some great sandwiches and pizza to go along with it. Uh, if you're up in Colville anytime soon, I highly recommend checking them out. Mm. Uh, so this uh, this beer, obviously an amber, so it doesn't come in with uh, too much in the way of IBUs. Uh, in terms of uh, alcohol, it clocks in right around uh, 6%. So that's uh, that's what I'm drinking today. Uh, again, uh, Fired Up Brewery in Colville, Washington. So retirement income factors. And retirement income creation. This is uh, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, it's it's one of the funner conversations that we get to have with clients is is helping them plan out their their retirement, um, or at least it, it certainly can be uh, fun and enjoyable um, for folks that don't have a lot. It, it's maybe a little bit more challenging, um, but there's uh, there's about five different main factors that go into it. Uh, one of which is super obvious, um, and like that's what everyone focuses on. Uh, but the other four factors have almost as much, if not more, individually uh, in in terms of like how big of an impact they can have on your retirement. Uh, and so it's one of those things where we wanted to go ahead and bring to you uh, some actionable items. And this is one of those things where you can start thinking about and focusing on some of the other key retirement factors. So. Retirement factor number one. Uh, this is the obvious one. How much you create. The, the bigger pile of money that you create uh, prior to retirement, whether it's uh, regardless of where it is located, um, the, the easier it's going to be. And this is what everyone focuses on. They always try to build up as big of a pile as they possibly can um, and use that to go ahead and uh, retire on. Uh, and don't get me wrong, having a bigger pile of money uh, certainly makes retirement easier as opposed to harder. Uh, that said, the other four factors uh, will will dictate a lot of how easy or challenging uh, retirement is when we start to go ahead and actually dig into, okay, now how do we turn this big pile of money that we've created uh, into an income stream? How do we live on it? How are we able to retire? So key number two is the location that our money is. So on our balance sheet, we have about six basic locations that your money can exist. Uh, personal property, uh, savings, investments, retirement, real estate, and a business. Those six locations are, are really where dollars can go. And each one of them works a little bit differently. And so now the question becomes, okay, great. How do each one of them work? Where should my money be? Uh, that is 
really an individual question, but the location of where our money is on the balance sheet will have a huge impact on how we're able to go ahead and turn that income or that uh, that asset into cash flow and into an income stream. One of the things that we're after is never-ending cash flow. We want you to be able to live a good life for the rest of your life and be able to enjoy your retirement. Because if we haven't been able to help that occur, what is it that we're truly trying to accomplish? So that gives you a little bit of a feel for, for the second step, location of money. From there, the taxation. What is the tax treatment of those dollars? Each one of those six locations of money comes with its own unique taxation component. Sometimes certain as- aspects that fit inside of that cate- those categories can have different taxation. For example, inside of retirement, we can have Roth assets or we can have traditional assets, and those are taxed dramatically different. Roth, we paid the taxes on the front end. And so when we pull it out on the back end, assuming it's for a qualifying event like retirement, um, and there's a huge caveat of like what qualifies as retirement income, the easiest one is over age 59 and a half. And uh, then that is going to come out income tax free. Traditional, every dollar that we pull out of the traditional side is going to show up on our, on our income tax statement as taxable income. So that gives us a feel for what that looks like. And each component is going to have a fairly large impact on what this looks like and how we can go about it. Step number four is taking a look at liquidity. How much do we have in the market versus out of the market? When I say in the market, I'm not talking about the stock market. I'm talking about any asset that is opinion-based. It doesn't matter whether, again, I'm not talking about my opinion. I'm talking about the opinion of society. So examples of market-based or opinion-based assets are stock market, bond market, real estate market, business market, anything where the value of the asset is dependent upon the opinion of others, that is in the market or an opinion-based asset. An example of something that is out of the market would be something like a banking product. A checking account, a savings account, a CD. Uh, there's a couple other uh, types of assets that wind up being out of the market. And uh, really, this is a promise-based asset. This is something where we know what the value is. It's not going to fluctuate up or down based on the opinion of others. Uh, the interest rate that we get on it might change depending upon the opinion of others, but the underlying account does not fluctuate. Like it's st- like the value does not go down. We know what it is. We know what it's going to be, and we can calculate that over short periods of time, depending upon what we're looking at in terms of like the underlying asset, how often the interest rates can change or or whatever else. But, but it like it doesn't have a bad day. Like we know exactly what it's going to be worth, and there's no question or doubt about it. Uh, for example, with real estate, if you uh, go to list your house. Well, like it's based on the opinion of others, what people are willing to pay for it. And yes, if we've got a good real estate agent, they should have a really good idea as to exactly what the value is. That value is going to change and it can change quickly. 
And you know, it might not have anything to do with anything that your real estate agent has done, said, good, bad, or indifferent. So how much you have in the market versus out of the market is really an important factor. The older that we are, the closer we are to needing our money, whether it is at retirement or whether we're already in retirement and we're getting closer and closer to needing that particular uh, segment of our retirement funds, the, the more that it should be in promise-based assets and the less that it should be in market-based assets. That doesn't make market-based assets bad. Market-based assets are great. That's what gets us good rates of return. But the future is unknowable and the returns on market-based assets are also unknown. We have a pretty good idea as to how the stock market works to a lesser extent or maybe a bigger extent. We know how the real estate market's going to work. Um, but at the same time, these things change. They, and they can change fairly dramatically. So that gives us step four. Uh, step five is the distribution method. So what method are we using to create income? And the last time we finished researching this, we, we kind of stopped somewhere between 50 and 60 different uh, recognized methods of distribution, um, the, the, which sounds like a ton. Uh, the good news is that there's really only somewhere in the neighborhood of like six to 10 basic methods. And then all of the rest of them are like combinations or variations on those six to 10. Um, and we're going to go through the six basic ones today. Um, and so the, the six basic ones, like most people are familiar with two of them. Uh, the first is the earnings method. Um, and then the second is something called RMDs. Um, so earnings is like, hey, we, we earned a certain amount on our portfolio. And so we're going to take just the earnings off of the portfolio, or we're going to take 4% of the portfolio, something of that nature. Um, and so ultimately, the vast majority, if not all of the income that comes off of the portfolio is earned income. And it's short-term earned income. What that means is that, A, we only get to enjoy a small portion of what the portfolio has actually done. Um, and it usually has some of, if not the worst, taxation associated with it. Uh, the good news with this is it winds up creating a relatively safe withdrawal mechanism and it helps prevent us from running out of money. That's a good thing. But at the same time, it's not very efficient or effective. Um, and so oftentimes we can go ahead and create other alternatives with some of the other methods. Uh, but this is kind of what people default to because it's what they're taught. Um, it somewhat makes sense. And, you know, it, it gives them the, the warm fuzzy that they're looking to in terms of continuing to hold on to assets, um, which is oftentimes their safety net. And, and in general, folks in retirement really, really, really want a safety net um, because they've seen a lot of things and they're, they're worried about what could happen. The second that I mentioned was RMDs or required minimum distributions. Uh, essentially, this is a government table. Um, and this is uh, the IRS dictating to us, hey, based on your account, here's how much money you should take out. Um, this might make me cynical. Uh, I'm, I'm open to being cynical about this. But I don't think that the government has the best way of figuring out how much money I should take out of my investment portfolio. I also don't necessarily believe that the IRS has my best interest at heart. 
Um, what this is designed to do is it's designed as a way to create the minimum amount that you're required to take out of your investment portfolio without facing tax penalties. And when I'm in retirement, I don't want to minimize anything. And so again, this has a tendency of minimizing the amount of cash flow that you're able to create and maximizing the amount of taxes that you end up paying. Uh, and so as a result, there's oftentimes way better methodology uh, to creating retirement income than using earnings or RMDs. So method number three is something called amortization. Now, everybody's relatively familiar with the idea and concept of a mortgage. You're amortizing the cost of the loan over some time period. In this case, uh, a 30-year mortgage, 30 years. A 15-year mortgage, you're talking about a 15-year time period. And so a million-dollar home, if you finance the entire amount, you got, went out and got a million-dollar mortgage, and your interest rate was 5%, by paying it monthly, you're going to wind up paying way more than the million dollars. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Kind of the answer is yes. Like, I don't know too many people that have just a million dollars of cash laying around to go buy a house. But if you do, awesome. Better for you. It still might be advantageous to go get a mortgage. Perhaps not right now with interest rates where they are, but in general, it's usually advantageous to go get a mortgage, which means that you're going to make a payment of somewhere in the neighborhood of 5300 and change. Um, a million dollar mortgage at 5% should be somewhere in the neighborhood of 5368 bucks plus taxes and insurance. Now, if you make just that minimum payment over a long period of time, you'll wind up paying about 1.9 and change for that house. That's really just the time value of money, that 5% interest rate that you're paying. And so if you're able to earn more than that 5%, great. You should not pay off the mortgage and you should continue to earn getting more than 5% and you'll wind up with money left over at the end. If you're super conservative and everything's just going to sit in a savings account earning zero point nothing, then you're probably better off taking the lump sum and paying off that mortgage because now you only need a million dollars as opposed to a million nine. When we take this concept and apply it to retirement, Essentially, you're the bank. So you've got a million-dollar asset, the house. The million-dollar asset for you is the retirement portfolio. And by doling it out over time, you're able to take, in my example, $5,368 a month, assuming a static 5% rate of return, for 30 years. You're able to create $1.9 million of income over that 30-year time period. At the end, your million-dollar asset has been dwindled to zero. Early on, you pay more in taxes. Later on, you pay less in taxes because there's less money for you to grow at 5%. And again, depending upon situation and circumstances, that might be a good thing. Issue is that we don't know how long you're going to live. So if you live longer than 30 years, well, unless we've got other assets, that might be a problem. 
we're going to run out of money. One of the other bigger issues is that we're assuming a rate of return. We don't know what the rate of return is going to be. One of the most challenging things to do is to take a systematic periodic uh, income out of an inherently variable asset. That is incredibly challenging to do. It's what makes retirement income an entire field of study, and it has some of the smartest minds in the world working on it because it's a really, really complex problem and has a ton of variables. That makes it more challenging. Our job and our goal is to go ahead and help simplify that for you and make it make sense. So amortizing an asset or taking a periodic distribution over time and intentionally spending down that asset over some period of time is method number three. Method number four is just taking out a flat withdrawal. Hey, we're going to take out 50K a year or 75K a year, 100K a year. We're taking it out usually for a specific reason and we're not necessarily paying attention to, hey, when is it going to be that we're going to run out of money? It's important for us to know that, but we're not necessarily designing the flat withdrawal based around how long that money is going to last. We're usually trying to take tackle that for a set period of time to pay a very specific expense. Um, it could be that we have a mortgage that still has to get paid for the next five years or the next 10 years, or we've got uh, college debt, or we've got you know some other expense that we're making static payments on, and so it, it has to be a flat amount. Okay, great. but we don't know exactly what's going to happen on the back end of that. We don't know how many dollars we're going to have left. Uh, and it really depends on what type of portfolio those dollars are sitting. Uh, so that's number four. Uh, number five is talking about annuitization. Uh, annuities are this weird concept where it's both a concept, it's also a product, but it's not just one product. It's like seven products, and then there's a bajillion versions of each one. And a lot of people think of this thing as really, really, really bad. Some of them are. Social Security is annuity. If you have a pension, that's an annuity. An annuity is inherently an income stream. It's an income stream for either a set period of time or for your life. And you can go get your own personal annuity. In general, the United States is a massive under-consumer of guaranteed income streams. So we moved away from pensions. There's a big debate right now about Social Security and whether we need to change that or privatize that or do whatever, get rid of it. Ultimately, having guaranteed income is one of the things that gives people in retirement a massive safety net. Now, I'm not necessarily a huge proponent of like increasing Social Security taxes or things of that nature, uh, but I also don't want to get rid of Social Security. I think it's absolutely a necessary safety net that we have out there for society. For folks that retire, we need to have guaranteed income. Creating your own personal annuity is a way to do that. And there's good and bad versions of it. But creating 
an annuitized income stream where you have a guaranteed income for a set period of time or for the rest of your life or the rest of your life plus the rest of your spouse's life makes a huge difference and allows people to breathe a lot easier when it comes to retirement income planning. Method five is taking a look at having guaranteed income. So that would be pension. Could be taking a look at Social Security. Similar to an annuity, but it's different at the same time. Uh, The taxation on it, on these things is a little bit different. Uh, Where it comes from can be a little bit different. Uh, It's not necessarily that you have a whole lot of choice over. Like you can choose when you take Social Security. You don't get to choose if you have a pension or if you don't, unless you go create your own annuity, which we just talked about. So we have some form of earnings or interest only, RMDs. Those are the first two. Most people are familiar with these. We have uh, amortization of an asset or spending down, intentionally spending down an asset. We have an annuity and all of the benefits or drawbacks of the annuity. And it depends on whether it's a product or whether it's just the guaranteed income stream and what the guarantees are associated. The fifth is that flat income, and number six was that guarantee, whether it's a pension, whether it is uh, Social Security, whatever that number six is, it's guaranteed. Now, there's some other methods out there, uh, you know, doing something like a charitable remainder trust or doing a reverse mortgage or things of that nature. Um, This is not going to uh, be in favor of or against any of those things. Um, those are some advanced concepts and really depend upon your unique situation. Uh, but then those six to 10 different methodologies of, of creating income and how they're combined uh, create those 50 to 60 different strategies. And it's those strategies that really dictate how well retirement income works. So hopefully this was enjoyable. We'll dig into some more of the specifics of retirement income creation coming up. Uh, But until then, we hope you have a great day. I hope you're enjoying a great beer. I hope you enjoyed and got some value out of this podcast. Uh, Our question of the day is which of the five key methods, and that was how much, where is it located, uh, what is the taxation treatment, is it in the market or out of the market, and what distribution method, which of those five have you already addressed and why? So head on over to beerandmoney.net and feel free to leave us an answer uh, there to the question of the day. And if you have more questions, give us a shout, drop us a line. We're happy to go ahead and answer those questions either in person, live over the phone, or in a future podcast. Make it a great day and cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or Quantified Financial Partners and opinions stated are their own. 
Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Brian and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities LLC. OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850, Portland, Oregon 97201, phone number 503-221-1226. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, AR Insurance License Number 1531912, CA Insurance License Number 0K24924, Alexander Collins, AR Insurance License Number 7264699, CA Insurance License Number 0H24806. Pinpoint number 2023-161315, expiration September 2025.